Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Publitz, and welcome back to the ninth Sunday after Pentecost for the week of July 25th, 2021, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited because there has just been a lot going on in my personal life, and I'm not going to get into that very much this week, but I just think it's also just a great time of year. There's been a lot of depressing messages going on, but I think this week, hopefully, I can give you a little bit of an upbeat one something to be thinking about, something to be considering, and give us a little bit of hope. But I think hopefully after last week's message, we also are giving ourselves a little bit more rest. It's something that is really valuable and really important. And I think in the time and climate that we really are in, I think having that patience, having that time to be able to rest and just recover is something that is really important. So Before we jump into this week's podcast, we have to look at the Twitter question for last week, which was, do you need more rest and explain your answer? And we got responses where people were just saying, yeah, and then kind of looking at how there's a lot of times within our lives that we kind of push and push, but then the people that we look up to are the ones who are kind of moving at a different tempo or moving at a little bit of a slower tempo. And I think it's sometimes one of the things that I really kind of admire with Jesus. There's an urgency with Jesus, but there's also seems to be at times a bit of a slower tempo. This tempo of I'm going to get there when I get there. Things will be okay. We'll get through this. We'll work through this. And I think that's something that we all could work on, especially as we're coming back into society, at least here in the States. Though there's a lot of things that we're dealing with and wrestling with, but trying to figure out what that new tempo really should be. So let's just jump into it for this week. The alternative first reading this week is from 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 to 15. This is a hard text to really talk about and really give it the appreciation that it really needs, especially that it's spoken from a male perspective. This is David and Bathsheba. If you know the story, King David, I found it interesting this time around, and it was something I picked up from Working Preacher, coming from verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David isn't out at battle. He's at home and he had sent other people out for him. And while he's on the roof, he notices a woman. He asks who she is. It's the wife of a soldier in battle. He asks for them after he has an affair with her. And in this kind of discussion, David's just trying to cover up his stuff and doesn't. And we kind of get left here at the end with a plot to essentially kill Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba. And this is something I think that is significant because we look at King David as this great king, and you could argue that this is rape of what he does here. And yet we know where David still gets blessed and ends up being the best king that Israel has, arguably. And this is one of those moments that shows the humanity in David, trying to have a chase after God's heart, and especially that it kind of gets brought up here in the later verses, how he gets critical of himself, but also how David screws up and God's still willing and able to work with him. But again, this text is a text that's really deeply rooted. It's definitely worth a read, definitely worth reading through that chapter there. And it's something that 
shouldn't necessarily just be glazed over, but it's there's some deep context here, and especially that the only line that Bathsheba has is telling David that she is pregnant. The psalm that goes along with that kind of reflects that in that Psalm 14, all seven verses, and how God is searching our hearts and realizes that there's times that there's corruption and that we've gone astray, but understanding that the knowledge of God is not what corrupts us, and it's the knowledge of God that is trying to continue to steer us, and it's through God that we're able to be restored. And again, coming from this after reading through David, I think that's really a powerful text to be able to go through. The first reading then that most places will be reading, unless you're doing the semi-continuous Old Testament, is 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 to 44. Really short reading, and there really isn't that much to say. A man comes to Elisha and is offering 20 loaves of barley, fresh ears of grain in his sack, and give it to the people to eat. And the person who brought it in says there's 100 people. How is this going to feed them? And it's stated from Elisha that give it to the people, let them eat, and thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. And verse 44 essentially says that's exactly what happened. So there's not really that much to go into, just a really short text, but it kind of reflects really well with what goes on in the gospel. The psalm then for that is Psalm 145, verses 10 to 18. This gets into the blessing of what God is willing and trying to do with us. He's trying to make it so that we are a blessing and because that he has blessed us and that we will be then able to provide and God provides for us, but then we are able to provide for others because of that and food in due season and that the different struggles and things that we're going through in this life that he is willing and able to provide for us. Again, if we are giving it to God. The second reading this week is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. This is a fun text, and I'm going to read this one because we literally have a prayer here that's just, it's beautiful, and it's definitely worth reading. So starting in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory that he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with the power of his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you have been rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you have power to comprehend with all the saints what is breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish the abundancy far more than we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. Amen. So this idea of how Christ is kind to come in and bless us and it's us getting to that understanding that place the best of our ability of how much that love is and what God is willing and able to do for us. The gospel text is the first out of five consecutive weeks out of John chapter 6 verses 1 to 21. This is Jesus is taking his disciples across Tiberias and the Sea of Galilee. And when they arrive 
It's near the Passover. There is a large crowd. Jesus asked Philip then, where are we going to buy bread to feed all these people? Philip says, I don't really know. It takes six months wages to feed all these people for everyone to have just a little bit. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, comes up. There's a boy with five barley loaves and two fish. Barley loaves are not as desired as wheat loaves in this time and period, but he's willing to share. So Jesus makes the people sit down in the grass, which would have been rare for the area, and he feeds the people. It's the feeding of the 5,000, and there are fragments left over that fill 12 baskets. And this is quite amazing. And the people are saying he's a prophet. And then in verse 15, Jesus realizes they are about to come and take him by force to make him king. So he withdraws himself. The disciples then go down to the sea. They get in a boat. They're crossing the Sea of Capernaum. It is dark. Jesus isn't with them. A storm blows up. They're about three to four miles out. They see Jesus walking on the water. And he comes to them and says, it is I, do not be afraid. And immediately when he reaches the boat, they reach land on the other side. So the feeding of the 5,000 immediately followed by Jesus walking on water is the text this week. Great text to give into, really fun. But before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plug. Boom! Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not a dream minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help bring you this podcast, and I've already brought them up this week. I love having scholars who are literally teaching future biblical scholars how to be able to interpret this stuff and having podcasts along with commentaries about it. But the other great resource that I really like using is the lectionary coming from Vanderbilt.edu. I really like using the Revised Common Lectionary because they have art and they have all the readings together in one location. If you have not checked out the lectionary.library.vanderbilt.edu for your text along with Working Preacher, I would say you're really missing out and it's really worth checking out both of these great resources. I'd highly recommend both of them. The thing that struck me this week is a couple things. First, we have a storm blow up and it's a strong storm. And one of the things that I forgot to say in the summary is they're three to four miles out and the disciples are terrified. And remember, there's groups of these people who are fishermen. And Philip then talking about feeding of the 5,000, which is brought up in all four gospels. So it's super important stating it's going to take six months wages to buy enough bread for each of them to get a little, aka six months wages is not going to feed these people. We're taking a tremendous amount of cash to be able to do this. And in both cases, a feeding of the 5,000, they collect 12 baskets full of leftovers afterwards. And when they cross the sea, Jesus gets to the boat and as they get there, boom, they're immediately on land. They've crossed and everything is fine. It's these the story of the underdog, the story of something that shouldn't happen, but yet happens. David, with raping Bathsheba, doesn't deserve to be king, much less one of the greatest kings, if not the greatest king of Israel. And yet God still says, yes, I realize you're human. And God 
comes and works with David to let him know about this as we continue going through 2 Samuel. But realizing, and the psalm kind of reminds us that God wants to restore us. God wants to take these things that seem insurmountable, these things that we don't think we can do, and show you, yes, you can. As long as I am with you and caring for you, yes, you can. We have a great example of this that has happened over the last 50, 75 years, which is a pretty remarkable story. It's a story of the world coming together to actually do something that benefited all of humanity. And I think it's one of the things that we can use as a reference point to remind us that when we work together and with God's help, because I would have to say for this to happen, it was not just humankind. It was with God's help that we were able to do this. And that is, we're going to look at humpback whales. Now, humpback whales, big whales that are in the ocean and they're kind of found all over the world. There's a couple different migration groups of them that kind of are it's stationed around different parts of the world. And their migration is very long distance. We're talking thousands of miles to do their migration. Some populations of these whales will swim up to 5,000 miles to get to their breeding grounds. And if you think about it, that's just crazy. But... What is super amazing to me is in the 1960s, things were not looking so great for these whales. The estimated population of these whales was 450. We now have a population estimated of 25,000. So what happened? What happened to be able to have the humpback whale, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, defeat the odds of being an endangered species and getting to this point where it's of least concern, the lowest ranking of classification for an animal. Well, there was a couple different contributing factors that happened. First, we had the Endangered Species Act came into play. And as we've talked about in the past, it was kind of a multiple bill thing here in the States which took in 1973 was when it took effect. And that's one of them that got put on this list. One of the biggest contributing factors also was in 1985 ending commercial whaling, which has made a huge dividend so that there aren't people going for the meat, the fat, or the blubber for different commercial uses. But one of the final things that was also around this period of time that really made significant impact was the recordings of whale calls, which then even got utilized in the 1960s into pop music. But then having these whale calls, people enjoying them, and again stating that we need to do something. So we did. We did all these different things. We took as a world and put it on our backs that we were going to do something about this. And this is one of those success stories. This is one of those places where we can look at and start realizing and we keep finding more and more places. New York getting more and more humpback whales coming into the harbor as they are noticing as the harbor is cleaning up that suddenly here come the whales thus making it easier for us to better understand these 
mammoths of creatures where the whale tail, the fluke, can be up to 18 feet wide. That's absolutely massive for us just to consider weight up to 40 tons being up to 60 feet in length and can live for 80 to 90 years these are huge huge beasts of the sea to be able to stabilize things now granted there's still a lot of different effects and that's one of the things that they're now wondering is as climate change is taking effects and it's switching currents and switching how the oceans are going, how is this going to affect humpback whales? We aren't exactly sure. And so that's going to be kind of one of the another big obstacles that we still have to deal with with humpback whales. Why do I bring this up with this text? The reason I bring this up with this text is the recognition of when we trust God, the abundance that can come from that. The abundance that can come from that. Five barley loaves of low-grain bread and two fish from a boy feeding 5,000 people. Was it that it opened up people to share? Was it in the blessing? I don't know, and I'm not going to get into that. But I do recognize the blessing of what Christ did in that moment, in that time, that then there was an abundance. Taking something that was on the endangered species list that looked like it was bound for extinction in the late 60s. And here we are, less than 70 years later, less than one whale's lifetime, up to 25,000 left. 25,000 from 450. It's crazy. Now, the things that, as a biologist, I would say, too, is did you bottleneck the population? Is there enough diversity? And I would hope so. When you get to 25,000, you definitely now would have a diverse population. But look at what happened when we were able to take notice of God's creation, take notice of what God was doing in the ocean, and how much then it's allowed us to be able to further understand our oceans. And we have so much more to still understand. To be able to take something and realize that, God, this is somewhat out of our hands. We're going to do the best that we can. We can only do so much. We can have scientists go out. We can try doing some things in captivity, possibly. But there's a point where we just have to let you happen. Us recognizing that we were doing an insurmountable amount of death and recognition and killing these amazing creatures. To look back now within one lifetime at the amount of impact that that has had is crazy. And to me, when I look at this and think about this with where we are today, like what can we see now that could drastically change? We have so many times brought up the Yellowstone example of the wolves in Yellowstone and how much they were looking at and the amount of damage that was in Yellowstone and you reintroduce wolves and that how that totally changed the ecosystem. We don't even know with removing whales how that would directly affect the ecosystem there, but look at what it's done and how it's made us start to think about our oceans and how can we make them a cleaner place. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done, but it's showed a step forward an opportunity for us and especially when we've looked down the barrel of a couple major climate issues that are potentially staring us in the face are we going to cower away and just say too much damage has been done and there are points where we are potentially getting to that point but i'm also looking at how in one lifetime we have seen an animal come back this strong 
and make major, major impact. We had the black-footed ferret here in the United States is another one that it's still in that road of recovery. It hasn't quite had the abundance yet. But again, it got extinct in the wild and through us having some in captivity, releasing them and been working on because there's been some significant blows, populations not doing well, predation, viruses. But why did they initially go extinct? Farmers not liking prairie dogs and trying to wipe out colonies, thus wiping out 90% of their food source. What has that then done with now us trying to understand that prairie dogs are keystone species to an environment and having still that predator relationship there, it's restoring the prairie slowly back to what it was in the sections that we're allowing that to happen. The abundance that that brings, the diversity that brings, the beauty that brings, the amount of things that where that's allowing us to potentially tackle some of these bigger issues by having that slowly together. This climate that we're in with climate change is something that we're going to have to tackle together as large groups with small pieces coming here and there, but all of us working together. And the hope to me is being able to see something like the recovery and the abundance of a humpback whale. Being able to go from endangered species to a species of least concern within one lifetime of a, of a whale is remarkable. And I'm not saying that we're going to be able to get through this in one lifetime, but I also realize that in that, there had to be blessings. There had to be moments where we just had to trust God to be able to have the whales be able to do whale-like things and eat krill and small fish and survive. That's one of the things being raised in an area of the country that has a lot of farmers and gardeners. There is parts where you can only do so much. There is a point where you have to get to a point where you just have to trust in God, trust in nature to do its thing. That we can only do so much. And that's the other part is where we just have to trust God. When I look at this text, I look at God saying, you may be broken, but I still want to work with you because there's blessings that I still have for you. There's things that might seem insurmountable, but I still have plans for them. And I want to work with you on them. And you got to trust me. You got to take these steps with me because if you do, there's remarkable things that I want to do with you. There's remarkable things that I want to do in this place if you allow me to. This garden in which we are the gardener is an amazing place if we allow it to be that. But it also means that we can't be asleep at the wheel. We still have to be the gardener and tend to it. We have to listen. We have to be aware. We have to be understanding when can we do this much? When can we find the boy who has five loaves and two fish? And it seems like that's not nearly enough to do what we need to do, but that's what we got. So we're going to start there. We're going to start there and see what happens. And from those five loaves and two fish, suddenly we were gathering 12 baskets of abundance. God is willing to take our mistakes and transform them into something amazing if we allow God to work with us and have these blessings within us. So when I look at the different issues with sustainability and climate change, and it's depressing certain days. But I also realize there is of great opportunity there also. 
we have a great opportunity to allow God to step in and say, God, we are doing as best that we can. We're going to need your help for that last little bit that we can't do. And that's where the abundance shows up. When we're scared and we're out in the middle of a storm and we just don't know what's going on and we see this Jesus walking on water and that's just the final straw. Like, this is crazy. And he says, don't be afraid. It's I. And suddenly, bam, we're through it. And the storm isn't there. And we've made it through. And we look back and what were we afraid of? What has all just happened? God stepped in. So the Twitter question I have for you is, Are you willing to put in the work so that God can bless the work? Are you willing to put in the work so that God can bless the work? We've seen it before. We've seen it with humpback whales. Are we willing to do it on a grand scale for all of us? With the climate, with sustainability, with the church, with our communities, with our lives. I think this is something that we have to consider and we can't just sit on the sidelines. This is something that we have to step forward and take action in. Because just putting them on the list wasn't enough. We then had to study them, understand them, figure out how were we going to create habitats outside of just removing the hunting to make sure that they were going to survive. And that we needed to study their habitat. We needed to understand them. We needed to study God's creation. We needed to study and work with the issue. Are you willing to do that? Because I think it's something as a global world, especially as we are just opening the Tokyo Olympics, This is a time for us to come together and to work together. And yes, it may feel intimidating that my little actions don't mean that much. But remember, it was a boy with five loaves and two fish. Five loaves, two fish. And it was a boy who brought forth and said, here's what I have. Let's see what we can do. And look at the abundance that came from that. I think there's a lot that can be learned from that. Little practices make a big difference. And are we willing and able to do that? Because in a world in which at times it feels like all this different things, if not making a big enough impact, am I doing this all in vain, does make a difference. And it's those little small steps that make a big difference. God's wanting to work with us, whether we're sinner or saint, as long as we understand and confess that God is there to work with us and we allow God in. So, are you willing to do it? Because I know for myself, It's something that I need to continue to work on to be able to do. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.